Things from my brain, the new podcast from the new universe. For more information about the author, or to check out show notes and links, or to send us feedback, please visit the blog.thenewuniverse.com. Hello again, and welcome to episode seven of the All Things from My Brain podcast. I am Patrick Hester, author, blogger, functional nerd, tech junkie, gamer, and Twitter junkie. I want to thank you for once again tagging along for this little slice of madness that I like to call all things from my brain. That's the name of both this podcast and my blog, uh, both of which I use to discuss all the little things that distract me throughout the week, uh, all the little tidbits of minutiae, anything at all really that I may have found interesting or distracting. For those of you who you seek just a little bit more structure, uh, I, I do offer you something that you can think of as a category list, possibly even a word cloud, when it comes to this podcast and the things that I'm going to talk about here. Um, I will cover such diverse and varied topics from week to week as sci-fi and fantasy stuff, technology, web life, video games, books, novels, movies, television, music, and my own original science fiction and fantasy writing projects and the adventures I'm having in getting you know that stuff done, written, ready to go, and into your hands, either through self-publishing or you know that traditional agent publisher route. Uh, I haven't decided yet which way I'm going to go, but luckily for me, I have some time. So yeah, I'm still working on stuff, so I don't have to make that decision just yet. Uh, having said all of that, I invite you to kick back for the next hour or so, sip your favorite beverage of choice, and as always, I recommend Southern Style Sweet Tea. Snack on your favorite munchable item, and kick back, join me on this journey into the things that caught my eye and made me think this past week. Sometimes the podcast will be a little bit longer, sometimes it'll be a little bit shorter. It all depends on what may have distracted and amused me during the week, and what I feel like talking to t- you know about. Um, and to tell you the truth, even I have no idea how long this thing is going to be. That's just the way it goes. Uh, I, I, there's all these different things throughout the week, and then I, I, I pull them back up and I take a look at them uh, on Sunday when I'm recording this thing. And things that looked absolutely fantastic and had to be mentioned on the podcast uh, on Monday uh, look kind of stupid to me now on Sunday. So, so I never know. Um, okay, let's let's dive right in and uh, take a look at the first thing this week, which is technology news. You know, the Kindle, it, it, it just won't stay out of the news. And, and, and the bad thing is it, it's all bad press. Um, I'm looking at a story here from Ars Technica. And a lawsuit has been filed in Seattle that seeks class action status for Kindle owners and Orwell readers, alleging that Amazon has done everything from committing computer fraud to eating a high school student's homework. One of the plaintiffs, Justin... Ooh, this is going to be a fun name. Uh, Goronsky, that's how I'm going to say it, G-A-W-R-O-N-S-K-I, Goronsky, has a compelling story about his experience with Amazon's memory hole. Apparently, he was reading his copy of 1984 
as a summer assignment for school and had been using one of the Kindle's selling points, the ability to attach notes to specific parts of the ebook text, to prepare for his return to school. Since he was actively reading the work when Amazon pulled the plug, he actually got to watch the work vanish from his screen. His, he's left with a, a file of notes that are divorced from the text that they reference. A second plaintiff is named, but he just seems to have gotten poor customer service when he complained about the deletion. So apparently he's not newsworthy. Uh, the introductory portions of the suit actually quote David Pogue, who apparently compared Amazon's actions to Barnes & Noble sneaking into private homes to remove books, leaving a check on the table. Uh, this lawsuit, it, it, it's going to be interesting if it gets off the ground. I mean, sure, they, they filed the suit, but who knows? You know, it, it, it could get tossed out um, just for being frivolous, and, and that would kind of suck because um, I, for one, would like to see this whole thing play out and, and see how Amazon's terms of service and users agreements and all that kind of stuff stand up under the law. I mean, the bit about comparing their actions to brick and mortar retailers coming into your house and actually taking the books back that you purchased from that, that's a fascinating uh, comparison to make. And I don't think we've ever seen anything even remotely like this before. So that's why I'd kind of like to see it, it, play out um, so, so that we can, you know, understand it a little bit better, I guess, is where I'm going. So it just seems for for Amazon, at least, that uh, this Kindle thing is not going away anytime soon. And the more bad press they get, uh, the worse it's going to be for them. Plus, there's something else coming that, that could hurt them a lot. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that later. Um, oh, and in other news, MySpace made an announcement this week, but honestly, nobody cares. Mozilla Firefox has been downloaded over a billion times. A billion times, people. That's a billion downloads from Mozilla's Firefox browser. Woohoo! To celebrate the event, Mozilla plans on Monday to launch www.1billionplusu.com, a website devoted to rallying the Mozilla community and to act as a hub of information concerning the billionth download of Firefox. Asked to clarify what will actually be on the site, Mary Kolvig, marketing manager for Mozilla, said in an email that she will reflect on how our community members around the world have helped improve the web. I said that wrong. <laughs> Forgive me. Marketing manager for Mozilla, Mary Kolvig, said in an email that the site, quote, will reflect on how our community members around the world have helped improve the web. Okay, cool. Um, well, you know, that can be neat. Um, I'll probably go check that out. Some cool statistics from the article that I, I read here. Um, six months after it launched in November 2004, Firefox had a global market share of over 8%, according to net applications. Uh, in March, the company measured Firefox's global market share at just over 22%. So that's a, that's kind of a huge, um, huge, huge numbers there. Uh, I think after six-month Chrome... Had, had like a fraction of that. Anyway, so congrats to Firefox. I definitely think that that is the best browser on the PC right now. Um, love it to death. And, uh, you know, here's wishing them a, a, a another billion downloads of the, the next version of the, of the, of the browser. Moving on, uh, Apple released iPhone 3.0.1 uh, on Friday. It's an update to the iPhone OS 
and it's uh, it was intended specifically to fix an SMS exploit that allowed attackers access to the phone's root access without the owner's knowledge. This is this is kind of funny <laughs> because I uh, I linked this story on my Twitter, and uh, suddenly I found that I was being retweeted by guys in Vegas, and they looked like hackers, and that's where the whole Vegas the hacker thing was coming. Anyway, it was just kind of strange and, and scary that uh, those particular people would be out there retweeting my tweet. So, thanks guys, don't hack me. Um, from the article, responding to a dangerous security exploit unveiled this week, Apple released an update to its iPhone operating system Friday to patch the security hole. Firmware 3.0.1 is now available for the iPhone, iPhone 3G, and 3GS through iTunes. This update is around 300 megabytes. There is no indication that there are any new features or fixes other than the text message exploit patch. Security researcher Charlie Miller, co-author of the Mac Hacker's Handbook, demonstrated the hack Thursday at the Black Hat 2009 conference in Las Vegas. That's the hacker thing. Um, The attack takes advantage of a vulnerability in the phone's short messaging service, or SMS, allowing an outside party into the phone's root access without the owner's knowledge. The exploit takes advantage of the fact that the SMS can send binary code to a phone. That code is automatically processed with user interaction and can be compiled from multiple messages, allowing larger programs to be sent to a phone over time. The exploit supposedly exposes the iPhone completely, giving hackers access to the camera, dialer, messaging, and Safari. It occurs regardless of hardware revision, or which version of the iPhone operating system is running. So, uh, scary, scary stuff. And so it's no surprise that Apple um, kicked some butt and pushed really hard to release a fix on Friday, uh, a day earlier actually than than expected, um, to address the situation, which is just, it's really cool and I'm kind of happy that they did that because that's a, that's a scary thing. Um, I have to tell you, I, I I don't get hackers. I don't understand how how these people figure these exploits and stuff out. I mean, they think of stuff that would just never occur to me. They, I think it's just a different, completely different way of thinking, um, different way of using your brain. Um, I, I would never have thought of using a text message to gain access to the root of an iPhone. Um, that just blows me away. It boggles my mind. Um, so I'm kind of happy that Apple fixed it and that it's it shouldn't be a problem until next week when they do something else to um, figure out how to beat that hack. It's like a game. It's like a chess game. Uh, anyway, <clears throat> that brings me to some other interesting Apple news. They've been talking about it forever and you know lots of speculation, but it looks like an iTablet, a portable device, um, a, a Mac portable computer kind of thing, uh, not not a laptop, not a phone, something in between, um, is building a lot of buzz. And people are thinking that it could be the next big thing to revolutionize the, the handheld market, um, coming in as an entertainment device, uh, a bridge between the iPhone and a computer, or the iPhone and a laptop. Uh, Imagine a single device with a big enough screen to allow you to read digital books, watch movies, play games, while also sparking new consumer interest in music albums packed with materials such as video clips, liner notes, and and all of it in color. Um, Sound cool? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, A lot of people think it's it's really cool. Uh, So the touchscreen internet-connected gadget, which the Cupertino company could launch before the holidays, 
aims to do what Microsoft failed to accomplish and would instantly compete with Amazon's Kindle, Sony's Reader, and a soon-to-launch device from Barnes & Noble. This is from the Financial Times, and they're reporting this on Monday. Um, the iPod Touch-like device is expected to have a 10-inch wide screen, um, so it'd be a little bit bigger. And, of course, it would be full color, which would blow the Kindle out of the, out of the water. Um, given how well the iPods have done, uh, I can see a Mac tablet really making a huge splash, and it could blow everything else away, uh, especially if the content delivery system is already in place and filled, which it is. I mean, that, that would most likely be iTunes. Um, iTunes has worked really well for Apple, and I don't see them going anywhere else. I mean, uh, they they just tacked the App Store onto it for the phones, so why wouldn't they you know, tack on uh, another store for this? Well, they may not even have to do that. I mean, well, I guess they'd have to do a book piece, but uh, other than that, everything's already there. So, and they've already got the infrastructure in place. It's just you know, they're a step ahead of the crowd. So, this thing could launch running instead of walking. Of course, we're still going to have to wait and see. I mean, nothing is scheduled for release yet from Apple, so everyone is just speculating at this point. Um, but still, the buzz is hot and heavy, uh, so the pressure's on Apple to come through, and, and I think they will. Um, I'm very excited to see what they come up with, so, there. Hey, kids. Did you miss me? <laughs> okay. It's been a while now. So, I, I think it's safe to talk about Torchwood, Children of Earth. Holy crap. Uh, this was a, a highly anticipated third series for Torchwood. And there was a lot of buzz, a lot of people wondering what this was going to be like. And I have to say, I mean, from from my perspective, it really did deliver on the hype. It aired first on the BBC and then a couple of weeks later on BBC America. Uh, Torchwood Children of Earth also aired on five consecutive days. So Monday through Friday, you didn't have to wait a week in between to get a new episode. It was all right there, one, two, three, four, five, which I really liked. Um, that that was convenient and cool. Uh, spoilers, 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 lots and lots of spoilers coming up here, people. So if you have not yet seen Torchwood Children of Earth, then uh, I suggest you skip ahead a few minutes. Um and then come back later after you've already seen it. So I'm going to give you a couple seconds to hit fast forward now. Okay, so hopefully everybody has fast forwarded a little bit um, if they wanted to see this before hearing me talk about it. Um, when every child on earth suddenly stops, just pauses, freezes, um, people freak out and they worry a little bit. When every child on earth stops and starts speaking in unison and saying, we are coming, we are coming. We are coming. Well, at that point, you, you kind of crap your pants. Um, and it's time to call Torchwood. Unless you're the people in charge of the British government, in which case you then try to kill Torchwood, which... Whew. Anyway, the series begins that way. Um, it's split into, into five days, and each episode is like day one, day two, day three, day four, day five. Um, and day one, the government... Is, you know the, the the we are coming thing starts, and we learn that the government is is actually colluding with the aliens, um, the British government, who've had dealings with them in the past, and they don't want anybody to know that they've had dealings with them in the past. So they're trying to cover it up, and in order to do that, 
Um, they have to kill certain people who were involved the first time around, and one of those is Captain Jack Harkness. Um, but he's not exactly easy to kill. First they shoot him, then they shoot him again. Uh, then they cut him open and put a bomb in his chest and send him back to the Torchwood Hub, um, where he finds out that Gwen is pregnant and that he's a bomb in his stomach. And so he sends Gwen and Yanto out, and the Torchwood Hub <coughs> explodes. Day two, Gwen and Yanto are on the run. Um, the super-secret British forces who have attempted to kill Jack and blow up Torchwood uh, have taken his remains. I think they found a, a head and part of a hand or something like that. They take those and they lock them up, and pretty soon Jack starts growing back, um, which is just is kind of a freaky scene. Anyway, um, it's up to Yanto and Gwen to rescue Jack, uh, which they do. Um, at, towards the end. Um, and still the British government is talking to the aliens, but now units involved and Americans are involved and it's getting kind of getting bigger because people now realize that children all across the world are um, acting weird. Day three, the team is back um, and they've recruited a spy inside the British government who is actually in the room with the aliens when the aliens arrive. And uh, they're in this giant case... It's like a glass enclosure full of atmosphere so they can breathe, all this kind of stuff. Um, and so Torchwood can sit there and track what's going on back and forth, um, the conversations going on with the aliens. Day five, uh, four, it's revealed that uh, Jack, now, now that Torchwood knows that Jack um, was involved with the alien deal back in 65. Children were handed over. It's a big, huge mess. Um... We also find out that the aliens want the kids because they kind of use them like drugs. They attach them to these things and they feed off them like drug addicts, which is creepy. We never really get a decent view of the aliens themselves. They're always in the, the misty kind of thing. But I think that lends to the creepiness of the whole deal. Um, eventually, Jack blackmails his way into the room to confront the aliens. <clears throat> and that goes over horribly, horribly bad and tons of people die, including Yanto. Um, day five, Jack is arrested. He's in prison. Um, the super secret British uh, forces that blew up Torchwood decide to spring him from the pokey and uh, get him to help them uh, stop the aliens. Meanwhile, Jack has sent Gwen to save Yanto's niece and nephew, which she's working on um, with her husband. Eventually, Jack figures out how to save the day. But in doing so, he has to kill his own grandson. So, huge big emotional moment there. Um, and then eventually, you know, we're kind of back to where we were. As much as Torchwood and Doctor Who has brought aliens to Earth, um, they've kind of kept that continuity going and people now are just like, oh, aliens are bad. Aliens are always the bad guy. Um, this series I think was the best of the three so far for Torchwood um, obviously it was shorter um, obviously they had the team is just being slowly whittled away now there's just Jack and Gwen and then Jack leaves at the end of the episode so I don't know if there's a future for Torchwood obviously I'd love to see some more stuff and Russell T Davies has said that he would love to do some more stuff at this point, it's all up to the BBC, so we'll have to wait and see. As far as this particular series goes, there are some slow bits and some stuff that didn't quite make sense to me all the time. 
Um, but it was still a really fantastic series. I really, truly enjoyed it. Um, if you weren't able to catch it, they've released a DVD set. And it's like 25 bucks at Best Buy. So it's it's not painful at all compared to normal BBC stuff that tends to be a little bit more expensive. So definitely go and check it out. Um, it's really worth your time. It's a, it's a good kind of fun ride, kind of an emotional ride. So um, there's a lot of different characters other than the Torchwood team in the, in there that really tug at you and um, are very well developed. I didn't quite like how some of them ended, but they also kind of laid the groundwork for people who could join Torchwood in the future if they wanted to, which I kind of thought out, you know, the last episode of Doctor Who before the specials um, had Martha and... Uh, Rose, Rose's boyfriend, whose name Mickey, Mickey, Mickey Smith. So Martha Jones and Mickey Smith, kind of walking off with uh, Captain Jack Harkness. And I really thought at that point that uh, those two were going to join Torchwood, but there was no mention of Mickey Smith whatsoever in Series Three. And the only mention of Martha was Jack calling Unit, trying to find out what was going on, and uh, Gwen chastising him for trying to interrupt Martha's wedding or her uh, honeymoon. So. Who knows? Uh, I think Torchwood has a future. Hopefully the BBC thinks Torchwood has a future, and we'll see more soon. In uh, and other kind of DVD movie kind of news, um, Green Lantern First Flight. This flew into DVD players a Tuesday, and I, I have to tell you, I was absolutely thrilled with this movie. Um, the Green Lantern, and specifically Hal Jordan as Green Lantern, has always been one of my favorites. So to see him finally get his own movie, and for it to be such an excellent treatment of the character and the mythos, it, it really, truly made my day. I think Green Lantern has always been this sort of background character for shows in the past, that they just kind of throw in there because they, they need more bodies, you know what I mean? Uh, and when they finally get around to treating him with a little respect with Justice League... They, you know, they decided to go with the John Stewart character instead of Hal Jordan, which I kind of understood at the time because um, Stewart had really taken over, and and was probably more present in the minds of the people who would be watching that show. So I, I got that. Um, but anyway, th this movie is great. Um, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I'm going to talk about it a little bit. So again, we've got spoilers here, folks. Um, I'm giving you fair warning in advance. If you don't want to know uh, any of these spoilers, skip ahead a little bit and um, come back later. Okay? So everybody ready for spoilers? Green Lantern First Flight tells the story of Hal Jordan and how he gets the ring and becomes a Green Lantern. Um, Abin Sur obviously comes to the planet, dies tells the ring to find a new Green Lantern, it finds Hal Jordan, brings him there. And almost immediately, as soon as he gets the ring, he's taken off the Earth. And so it's not an Earthbound story, it's definitely a space story, it's it's out in the universe. Um, he's taken to Oa, he meets the Guardians, he meets the other Green Lanterns who don't particularly like him because Abin Sur was well-loved and now he's dead and here's this pink-skinned uh, human from Earth who's wearing his ring and that's unacceptable. Anyway, he's uh, he's on Oa, he's with the Guardians, and even they don't think that he's worthy to be wearing the ring. Um, but uh, one person thinks that he might be, 
and that is Sinestro, who begs that the Owens, the Guardians, uh, let him take the Earthling under his wing and run him through the paces and, and do some testing and see whether or not this guy is truly worthy of the Green Lantern ring. And that's what sets up our story. Um, it's Sinestro and Hal Jordan, um, kind of like a buddy cop movie. Older cop takes a younger cop under his wing. I'm going to teach him the ropes. And then as they're kind of traveling together, the younger cop finds out that the older cop really isn't the nicest guy in the world. And he doesn't really do things by the book. And he's kind of a lying, sadistic craphead bent on dominating the universe and bending everyone to his will. So, there. Uh, the rest of the movie is pretty much how uh, figuring that stuff out and trying to convince the other Green Lanterns. And then eventually, you know, it comes down to um, Sinestro versus the Green Lantern Corp and uh, the uh, Corps and the uh, the Owens, who he per- basically defeats, um, except for Hal Jordan who manages to keep his power and, and come back and fight him. I, I So much fun in this movie, I swear. Um, this was a great movie. It's definitely worth going out and get. This is the latest in the new line of DC animated movies that they've been coming out with, and they have just done such a phenomenal job on these. I really, really have enjoyed all of them. Uh you know, in, in this line, and in no particular order, we have seen Batman Gotham Knight, which was an interesting take on, on the whole Batman thing. They had, it's either four or six anime masters from Japan, and each one took a crack at a chapter of the story. So as you move from chapter to chapter within the film, you know, the course of the story, you're actually seeing different animation styles, different takes on Batman and Bruce Wayne. Um, and it was just, it was, it was a fantastic, fantastic movie. I really liked it. Um, next, uh, was Justice League New Frontier. This was not Justice League from the, the TV show. This was based on a graphic novel and, oh man, I, I really, really loved this one. This one was so well done. Uh, if you check none of the others out that they've come out with lately, you definitely need to check out Justice League New Frontier. It was really, really good. Um, just great, great stuff. Uh, then we had Superman Doomsday, which you probably have figured out just through the name what that one's all about. It was uh, it was pretty ambitious on their part to try to do this because they were trying to take the whole Doomsday storyline from you know start to end, which crossed probably every book in the DC universe, um, and tried to condense it down into a single movie, w- which is tough. That's really really tough to do. They managed to do it, but. At the same time, I think that they didn't manage to do it. They, they fell really short of what the comics had achieved. It was still a decent movie, and, 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 and given the subject matter, I don't think they, they really could have done it any better. You know, um, But it still wasn't odd that it could be. It's still a decent movie, though, so, so there. Then, um, I think the last one that came out before this one was Wonder Woman. And I have to admit... That that was a really, really good one. I didn't know what to expect with Wonder Woman. I, I never really collected those comics. Um, I remember the old TV show. But but other than that, not much. So I'm, I wouldn't call myself a huge fan. But based on how well the others had been done, I decided to go ahead and pick that one up. And 
I was actually very pleasantly surprised. It was a very good movie. Um, Nathan Fillion, I think, provided the voice for um, Trevor. Is that his name, Trevor? The the pilot guy from the Air Force that she ends up meeting. Anyway, um, it was really done well. I, I liked it a lot. Um, it was all about girl power, so go girl. After Green Lantern, uh, Final Flight, or First Flight, uh, the next movie on slate from the, the DC Animation Studios is uh, Superman, Batman, Public Enemies. This is scheduled for a September release. Uh, and in this story, Superman and Batman are fugitives of the U.S. government as led by the president, Mr. Lex Luthor. Which I believe follows some of the later DC comic storylines that I've seen where, where Lex actually became president of the United States. Um, I, I, that was after my time, so I, I couldn't give you any any definitive details on that. But uh, the story looks interesting and cool, so uh, I'm definitely watching out for that one, and you should too. But in the meantime, um, definitely pick up Green Lantern First Flight. Um, it's a fun ride. Worth your time. Probably the <clears throat> the biggest news in, in geekdom this past week was the San Diego Comic-Con. Now, I, I've never been to the SDCC, but it seems to be getting bigger and bigger each year as, as Hollywood descends upon it to try and build buzz and hype about whatever their new projects are. Um, one interesting thing to note is that I never really hear much about comic books at Comic-Con anymore. Sure, there's movies based on comic books and television shows based on comic book characters and comic books and graphic novels and then there's video games that are based on the comic books and the graphic novels and the TV shows and the movies but what about the comic books themselves I I subjected myself to to 3 or 4 hours of the G4 coverage of the SDCC and in between opportunities for Olivia Munn to basically show off her boobs in various comic book character outfits the talk and the interviews was mostly about things uncomic book related. Um, television shows like True Blood, movies, Ninja Assassin, I think they talked about at one time. Yeah. That sort of thing. Which, really, it, it kind of got me thinking. You know, where are the comic book sellers? Why not talk to the people at Marvel? Why not talk to the people at Image, why not talk to the people at DC or Dark Horse or what's it, IDW or, you know, where are the interviews with those people? They were non-existent. It never happened. Let me take you back to when I was heavy, heavy, heavy into the comic book scene. Uh, I went to comic book conventions and I was even a vendor um, for a couple. I would go in and set up my table, you know, put all my stuff up on display try to sell stuff, and, and and then it was, you know, people coming through, looking at comic books, trying to find that, that comic that they needed to, to finish a collection, or to introduce their kids to something that, you know, they liked when they were kids, that was what it was all about, is those relationships, kind of building with the people that are coming through, going to your table, you know, all that kind of stuff. You'd have tables full of comics, um, cards, posters, toys, you had stuff that really people couldn't find anywhere else. You had rare comics, rare cards, um, videos of stuff, D&D stuff, you know, all kinds of role-playing games. It was a cornucopia of nerdtastic stuff, unlike anything I had ever seen before, and that was 
Comic-Con. You know, that was what you were there for. Now, I don't know. I mean, that's how the San Diego Comic-Con started out. Um, just like, you know, all the rest. Uh, it was about the comic books. But as Hollywood has taken over, and really they have taken over, the comic book stuff, it all takes a back seat to, you know, these huge lost things. You know, Lost was big there. And True Blood and... and uh, I, I don't know. And James Cameron, Cameron talking about, you know, Avatar and Disney talking about Tron. It, it's, it's, it's become something different now. So imagine my surprise. You know, I'm thinking about these things. And then I come across Mile High Comics, who arguably is one of the nation's largest comic book stores, if not the largest comic book store. And they had posted on their newsletter... Um, Comments and thoughts about SDCC, which seemed, at least to me, to mirror my own thoughts on the subject. And their post has gotten a lot of people talking about SDCC up out on the web. A lot of bloggers are talking about this now. It's almost as if it's it shone a light on the elephant in the room that no one had been talking about um, or willing to talk about before when it comes to San Diego Comic-Con. Uh, so I'm going to read a little bit here from the post. And uh, this is the owner. Um... The convention has definitely become a must-attend event for anyone worth their salt in Hollywood. There have been so many premieres and announcements of new projects here that it has become difficult for even the largest companies to be heard over the din. Sadly, where this leaves all of us in the comics world is totally screwed. With a reported waiting list of 300 media-slash-consumer products companies lined up for booth space here at San Diego Comic-Con International, the convention feels absolutely no restraint as regards to raising booth rent. What does exist is a totally uneven playing field, where mom-and-pop comic retailers, publishers, and creators are now being asked to pay the same cost per square foot as the international corporate giants. That being the case, it should come to no surprise that we comics exhibitors are rapidly being priced out of our own house. I heard from several comic retailers who have been here at the convention for decades that they are either cutting back for 2010 or are completely pulling out of the show. With few comics retailers exhibiting in San Diego each year, the incentive for individual comics fans to put up with the cost and hassle of coming here also greatly diminishes. If present trends continue, I predict with more than a small measure of sadness that comics will be a very small part of this convention within five years. Wow. So, what does this mean for people who actually go to that convention for comic books? They're not going to see them there anymore. Um, what I think is happening here is it's an opportunity, and I hope that someone somewhere with a little bit of money and some drive and ambition um, takes the initiative to run with this. But I think it's an opportunity to revive local comic cons. Um, the ones that the rest of us can afford. Uh, another comment that I read about SDCC was... That after purchasing tickets to the convention, um, then plane tickets to San Diego, and paying for a room to sleep in, while there, a lot of people found themselves with very little money to spend on the con itself if they actually wanted to eat. So those mom and pop places that he mentioned above, you know, even the ones who were there weren't getting a lot of sales. Sales were down because people didn't have the money to spend because they'd already spent it on the friggin' tickets, you know. So. Why would they come back? Why would the vendors come back 
it just makes no sense. It, it's becoming too cost prohibitive. That's why I think local cons are the answer. Um, if they can't compete with the booth prices at STCC, you know, a regional con where the ticket price for entry might be 20 bucks tops, max, and the booths, you know, probably run between 100 and 500 bucks, it's a no-brainer. Um, I think that that would really revive the whole scene and get people interested in complex again, which is really the point, isn't it? Is that why you have a Comic-Con in the first place? Again, it's so that that dad can bring, you know, his kids in and show his kids the comic books that he read and introduce them to the things that, that he loves and, you know, maybe find that comic, that rare book that he's looking for to finish out his Spider-Man collection. Who knows? Anyway, that's, uh, that's my two cents on the whole thing. Something evil's watching over you Coming from the sky above And there's nothing you can do Prepare to strike, there'll be no place to run When you're caught within the grip Of the evil unicron Transformers More than meets the eye Transformers Robots in Disguise Okay. I did want to talk about music again. Um, I talked about music once before, and I wanted to bring some new music to your attention once again. John Anilio. And John, if I have screwed up your name and the pronunciation of it, I heartily apologize to you, and uh, I do hope that you'll forgive me. But anyway, John Anilio is a singer-songwriter who specializes in writing songs about science fiction and fantasy. Um, alternate tuned acoustic guitar, uh, slide guitar riffs, analog synthesizers, and catchy pop hooks form the basis of his odes to androids, princesses, and vampires. That's straight off his blog, by the way. Um, each week on that blog, scifisongs.blogspot.com, he posts a new original song, remix, or podcast. And I have to tell you, they're simply wonderful. I mean, the guy's really talented. Uh, how I came to know John is sort of a roundabout thing. Uh, when I joined Twitter, I started following SF Signal. And John D. over at SF Signal always has very interesting and fun things to say. So I started replying and commenting to his stuff, and then he started replying and commenting to my stuff, and we started chatting back and forth. And eventually, he, you know, I did a follow Friday on him. He did a follow Friday on me. Um, recommending that uh, people start following me, and I believe that that's how John and Elio found me because he follows SF Signal, and soon he and I started kind of doing the same thing that John D and I did, and we started chatting back and forth, and he linked me to some of his stuff, and and I, it just blew me away. I mean, he really is very talented, and there's a couple of tunes I especially like. Um, the first is his version of the Transformers theme song. Yep. That's right, the Transformers theme, and that's what you heard leading into this segment. Um, the second is a song called Summer Glow, and it's about everyone's favorite Terminator slash uh, enhanced super chick, whose lyrics were written by John D. over at SF Signal, which I didn't realize until I actually read the blog post. Um, so 
uh, John D wrote the lyrics, uh, John and Elio wrote the music, um, and then recorded it. And so let's take a listen because I want you to hear this. of clothing found inside Malice tipped off wondering about the doctor I don't care cause I'm feeling alright See the tree branch lying on the cold deck She picks it up maybe thinks it's fun Snap us back to now see the world Fine. I can't shake her image from my mind. Summer now, she makes me feel fine. I can't shake her image from my mind. See the angel punching the kicking. Not really sure what she could do. She's a weapon of very very nice i i love acoustic guitar i always have and john he is extremely talented plus his voice is very strong but yet it's kind of mellow i i really dig it i, I like it a lot um if anything i'd love to hear john play a little bit of blues what do you think john um, a little bit of blues, you know, who better to fits a blues song than, say, Malcolm Reynolds? He wanted to write a nice little bluesy Malcolm sound song. Um, think about it. Uh, let me know. Anyway, if, uh, if you're interested, um, I suggest that you take a trip over to sci-fi songs.blogspot.com. That's where John has all his stuff. And uh, you can download his music for free. Um, he's got all the links set up right there. It's, it's really simple and really easy. And believe me... Um, if you do that, it will find its way into your iTunes playlist on heavy rotation because that's what's happened to me here at the house. Um, <laughs> and his stuff just keeps popping up and, uh, it, I smile every time I hear it. So check it out. Sci-fi songs.blogspot.com and John and Alia. Now... There was something cool at the San Diego Comic-Con that didn't get quite as much coverage as, oh, say, Tron 2 or James Cavern's Avatar. Um, and so it wasn't being talked about everywhere, but it was being talked about at a couple spots, and that's how I found it. Um, I am totally going to butcher this name, sir, and for that I do apologize. But J. Michael Straczynski, creator of Babylon 5, held a panel in a small room about writing. He had nothing to promote. He wasn't selling anything. Um, didn't have any huge projects that he was trying to push. You know, big blockbuster movies. Um, no new toy line. Nothing like that. He was just there to talk to aspiring writers about writing. Kudos, sir. Um, I think that's fantastic. It's just very, very cool. 
He had some great things to say about writing, and I have gathered some of the quotes, and I wanted to share them with you here. So um, bear with me as I go through these. Quote number one, many of you want the magic answer. As a rule, there are no rules. Very cool. Um, Number two, start with everything you can say. Then you cut it down to everything you want to say. And then cut it down to everything you need to say. So I, I'm, I'm very on board with that. That's very cool. Um, someone asked, how do you know when to end a piece of fiction? He answered, when you run out of words. <laughs> um, next, uh, he, he uh, added to that, a short story will end sooner than a novel. That's just my opinion. If it doesn't, then it's a novel. Um, next up, uh, he said, don't give up. Uh, The turf that you have to stand on is occupied only by you. Trust where you stand. Trust your point of view. When I hire a writer, I hire them for their viewpoint. Also very cool. Um, Then he told a story about how he first began writing, uh, doing perfect imitations of the voices of his favorite writers, like Rod Serling, Harlan Ellison, H.P. Lovecraft. And then he's quoted as saying, And I thought that was how a writer was supposed to sound. The truth is, a writer sounds like you. Writing is speaking in your voice. When you meet the vast majority of writers, you find that they write just like they talk. What's interesting about that is um, I wrote a piece of flash fiction um, for the blog. And this was just, gosh, two weeks ago, I think. And someone said they totally heard my voice in it. uh, Totally heard it. And so that amused me. Um, So apparently I did that right. Next quote. No writing is ever wasted. Okay. Yeah, I get that. Um, I mean, anytime you write, you are perfecting your craft. You are hopefully getting better at what you do. So I agree with that. Um, And then the problem most faced, most often faced by first-time writers, according to JMS, is that they don't finish their work. Quote, because if you finish a story, then that story can be judged. You can fail. That's scary, but failure is important. Failure is something to strive for. The military says you must fail at some point or you aren't doing it right. Wow. Yeah, that's, that is excellent advice right there. Uh, I kid you not. Um, I have a lot of unfinished projects and... That could seriously be one of the reasons why is because it is scary. You don't want to fail. Um, one questioner asked if it was essential to outline one's work. JMS, who rarely works with outlines, had a simple answer. Quote, and I am saying JMS, by the way, just so I don't have to say his name every time and screw it up and possibly offend him. Quote, if outlines don't work for you, don't do them. Don't worry about finding the mountain. Just put one foot in front of the other and start climbing. That really spoke to me because that really is my style. I have tried to do outlines before because basically I thought that that was, that was what you were supposed to do, you know? Um, it was what, it, it's just the way. So I figured I better learn how to do it and start doing it or else get left behind. But it, it, it never really works well for me. It ends up making me feel like if I've outlined it, then... I'm in a box, and I have to stay inside that box, you know? Um, It's sort of like coloring inside the lines. If you draw the picture, 
um, you have to stay inside the lines. And I don't want to color inside the lines. I want to splash color everywhere on the page and, and just do whatever the heck I feel like doing. So an outline, it, eh, it just doesn't work for me. So, so there. Anyway, that was uh, a lot of really good advice from JMS. And uh, that leads me into this week's writing update. So, this week, I did a ton of writing. A ton of it. Um, unfortunately, it was all for work, which means it wasn't creative fiction so much as it was copy. Um, copy for advertising and marketing and stuff like that. So, uh, it, it counts, but it doesn't count. Um, what that actually did was sort of fuel my hunger to do something more creative and do some more creative writing, which resulted in the beginnings of a short story based on two characters that I've created and I've played with in the past um, called Malachi and Madrigan. They're brothers. They're set in a fantasy world, and they travel around selling their sword to whoever needs them, um, which makes it very easy to jump in, write an adventure for them, and then jump back out again. Uh, I have a very clear vision of who and what they are in my head, which also makes it easy to jump in and, and do that kind of stuff. And plus, that vision of them includes a lot of humor. And I always enjoy writing humor, but it doesn't always work for everything that I write. Um, you know, the characters kind of speak to you, and sometimes characters don't speak in a humorous tone, but these guys definitely do. Um, so I guess you could say that. I created them specifically so I could write some funny fantasy fiction whenever the mood takes me. And that's what happened this week. Um, I'm about 4,000 words in the piece so far, uh, and I don't anticipate it being too terribly long. Uh, maybe just a short story. It could possibly even be less than that. Um, in this adventure, uh, the brothers are off to kill a troll named Peter, who turns out to be a fairly decent bloke, um, which forces them to reconsider the whole thing. Um and wonder if they shouldn't help him instead um, and get rid of the king who hired them in the first place to get rid of the troll. Believe me, it, it's funny stuff, people. <clears throat> Very funny. Uh, I'll post it up on the blog when it's done, probably in multiple parts, just so that it's easier to read and consume. I also managed to do some more editing on Sam Kane early in the week, but then the work stuff took over, and I found myself having less time than I would have liked for that project, which sucks, but... C'est la vie, such is life. I also keep thinking about the next book for Sam Cain, and I, I tell you what, there's nothing, nothing in this world that motivates a writer to move forward on their current project than the mounting excitement building in their brain for the next chapter in the lives of those characters. And boy, do I have a doozy planned um, for Sam Cain. So believe me when I say that I'm very motivated to get this editing done and to get this book in the hands of the people who are going to be reading it um, so I can then do edit number two. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely pushing forward on that. Over on the blog this week, all the talk of the comic books and the San Diego Con Comic Con um, really got me feeling nostalgic this week. So much so that... I started digging through my closet and pulling out boxes of comic books, which I do want to say makes me feel that I really, really, really need a bigger place and more room because um, it's such a pain to dig, dig those out right now. Anyway, um, digging out the comic books, uh, pulling some stuff out, taking a look at them, snapping some pictures, popping them up on Twitter, and then I decided to really start blogging about it. Um, 
I suggest you check it out. It's it's good stuff, you know. Uh, my collection spans. Uh, it begins really in '77, and then runs all the way to '95, '96 ish. Not a hundred percent sure on that, um, but I've been taking covers, cover photos, um, telling stories, and 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 whatnot. All it's it's good stuff, really. Um, if nothing else, it gives you a little bit of insight into where I come from and the kinds of things that influenced me as a kid and as a writer. Um, definitely worth checking out. Uh, it's over at the blog, the blog dot All things from my brain. Plus, I also did have a, a kind of a good caption fun comic over there on Friday, so worth your time. Check it out once in a while, please. Please. Thank you. Okay. I think that's it for this week. I mentioned last week that I wasn't feeling 100%. That has passed, and I'm doing so much better. Thanks to everyone who sent me well wishes via Twitter. I do appreciate the love, people. Um, Keep it coming. I want to thank you once again for coming along for the ride. I do appreciate that as well. I'll see you again here next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. In the meantime, don't forget to check out the blog, All Things From My Brain. That's over at theblog.thenewuniverse.com. And if you are so inclined, you can also follow me on Twitter, twitter.com slash ATFMB. That stands for All Things From My Brain. I can be somewhat amusing and entertaining on a daily basis. You don't know. Don't don't give me that look. I could be. I could. <clears throat> I guess you just have to follow me on Twitter to find out now, won't you? Things that interest me throughout the week usually get linked there, so it's worth it to come and check me out. Twitter.com slash ATFMB. If you want to comment or ask me any questions at all or suggest anything cool that I should be paying attention to, please visit the blog.thenewuniverse.com and comment on the episode notes. Or feel free to email me. I do have an email address set up for this, podcast at thenewuniverse.com. And who knows, um, if you say something witty and clever, I might actually mention it here in the podcast. And then you'd be famous. Wouldn't that be cool? I hope you have a great week. And until next time, see ya.